So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, Monday is the anniversary of the day Roger first publishes famous thesaurus. Then on Tuesday, we say happy birthday, Mr. Potato Head. On Wednesday, the extraordinary stories of the child soldiers who fought in the American Civil War. On Thursday, how King James changed the word of God. And on Friday, what did spam emails look like in 1978? We discuss this and more on Today in History with the retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, Man fans. Ollie Man here with The Modern Man. Hope you're very well. Uh, in case you were wondering what the slightly esoteric title is about today, uh, The Impossible Cream was a tagline from a 1970s ad campaign for Baileys when the idea of blending whiskey and cream seemed incredibly exotic. And my interview this week is with one of the creative team who dreamt up Baileys back then. Now, if, like me, you were born in the 1980s or later, you've probably never even considered there was a time before Irish cream liqueur was a thing. But there was. It is a relatively recent invention. And in this episode, you're going to hear the story of how that blockbuster booze was created. Not in Ireland, but in Soho. There are some surprisingly lo-fi details it's a great story. Uh, in fact, it's a bit of a booze special this week because Ollie and I were invited along to Craft Beer Rising in London. It's a huge event full of hipsters at the Old Truman Brewery in Brick Lane. Security was unbelievably tight there. Honestly, you'd have thought we were trying to get into the Oscars. Although that may have been because we were at the trade session. And once you're in the trade session, before it opens to the public, you can just go round refilling your glass for free with hundreds of different craft beers, which we did. Uh, so this week's Zeitgeist is exclusively about trends in craft beer rather than trends generally, and apologies for the fact that we've clearly been um, uh, enjoying the event. Uh, just before we get going as well, a bit of a health warning actually, I should say that this week's Foxhole, although it is an essentially light-hearted affair as ever, does include a discussion about sexual violence. So if you've been affected by that, just a warning so it doesn't come as a surprise, we do stray into that territory later. Um, so today you are going to learn what mushroom beer tastes like, why you might soon be using an injectable contraceptive for men, and what connects a Jewish restaurant with an Irish whiskey. Let's go. On this week's Modern Man. And one guy gets up in the middle of all this and says, I wouldn't be seen dead drinking this. Focus groups, buttercream and drinking policemen. The birth of a billion bottle global brand. If you're spanking someone's bum, you don't want to go too high up their back. And Alex Fox has advice for those who slap during Slap and Tickle. But first, it's the man you can rely on to organise a piss-up in a brewery, which is what we're literally doing. It's Ollie Pitt with The Zeitgeist. Hi, Ollie. What are your craft beer trends of the week? Rather than say it, 
I'm going to just present you yeah. with said item. Here it goes. Ollie's leaning down into his big brown bag and he's brought out a bottle of... Barrel-aged beer. What they do is they age, much like whiskey, they age it in a barrel. Mm. So the flavours from the barrel will uh, infuse with the beer, as is the theory, okay. and you get this incredible flavour. And it's matured in bourbon barrels. That is absolutely delicious. That's really good. I don't oh, know. Oh, that is really good. Oh it's dark God. as well, so it's creating quite an alcoholic trace on the glass too, so there's probably quite a high percentage in there. What are we looking at? 10% by volume, so yeah, it is quite alcoholic. It tastes like whiskey and beer together, doesn't it? Unwittingly, mm. you have led us to the next trend. This is sour beer. Sour beer? Sour beer is the fucking future. Is it? Yeah, apparently, according to a chat that I was speaking to with a beard. Have a taste, Okay, because I've got so two very beer. different ones here. One of them is a lemon beer. Yep. The other one is a mushroom beer. And they're Why? both sour. I guess, I mean, I guess all beer has, you know, yeast in it, doesn't it? And stuff that you wouldn't want to eat. He's put it up to his lips. He's contemplating drinking it and it's going in and... Oh, his slight smile. It's bitter, rather, and not bitter in the beer sense. Which one was Bitter that as one? in sour. I mean, I get that. That's the lemon Because it, it tastes bitter like a lemon. Okay. So this one must be the mushroom one. Yes. Right, here we go. Put it up to his lips. He's drinking... Ugh, oh, that's okay. absolutely putrid. Yeah, that's the mushroom <laughs> one. That is disgusting. It's horrible, isn't it? Yeah. But I, interestingly, I drank it. Oh, it's got a real aftertaste as well. Yeah, really disgusting. That's like I've just been sick on mushroom soup. But when I first tasted it, oh. I was a bit like, I was like this. I was kind of like, um, I'm not sure about this. <laughs> I'm a bit confused. And then Matt told me, he yeah. said, well, this is mushroom beer. Yeah. And I tasted it again. And I was almost sick knowing it was mushrooms. Yeah. It's all in the head, Ollie. Partly. Also, it does taste disgusting. Uh, well, you may not be a fan, but... Uh, I think I've made that clear. They've managed to gather together enough money to open another brewery in Somerset. And if you like mushroom beer, then great. I can believe that sour beer is going to be a trend because, um, well, for a start, I keep hearing everyone talking about well, it. Well, the here. lemon one's good, exactly, isn't it? Exactly, the lemon one is nice, yeah. yeah. Sour beer, definitely. I think you're onto something there, and I really like the both barrels that you brought out at the beginning. Barrel-aged beer. Okay, that's really good. more of it. I've also been around and picked up a few beers myself. It's says like a beery Christmas. Okay. I love it. So this is my favourite craft beer that I've tasted all year. Okay? So That's I'm opening the can. quite the accolade. Get ready for it. Right. I'm not going to tell you what it is, just okay. drink it. So I'm not allowed to read the can? That's right. Here we go. I mean, that's that's quite creamy. Yes. That's very, very tasty, but it tastes like quite a generic craft ale. I agree. It's not as distinctive as the ones that you showed me, but then that's because I've chosen one that I actually think is drinkable that I like to drink as opposed to, like, novelty ones. Yeah. I mean, this you would drink this, wouldn't you, in the summer? Absolutely, yeah. Right. Yeah. So what it is, is it's a session IPA made by Island Records, the record label. What? Home of Bob Marley and Amy Winehouse. What's cool about it... And, I, you know, it's, it feels weird for me to say this is cool because it's such a kind of corporate thing, but it, it is actually quite a cool gimmick. Is It's a Shazamable can. No. I know. No. This is the kind of shit you come to me with. So How? <laughs> if you get the Shazam app out of your pocket yeah. and then scan any part of the can, it's got a watermark on the can that takes you to a Spotify playlist of Island Records songs to listen to as you drink. Well, we've tried five different types of beer. Wait, so. wait, 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 wait. What? Zeitgeist is not complete without a game, Ollie. Come on. Oh, Christ. Listeners are familiar with the format now. I have a game. Yeah. I'm going to present you with some alcoholic beverages. Is this going to involve me drinking like a sixth, seventh and eighth type of beer in the space of ten minutes? No, it's not a drinking game. Okay. One thing that intrigued me whilst we were here is the names of beers. Yes. Okay, so there's some really fascinating names. And I wonder what kind of thought process goes into creating those names. Yeah. I'm going to give you the beer mm. and you have to try and come up with a name 
before that beer and see how close you get to the actual name. Right, you couldn't have just asked the brewers what was the thought process behind this beer. Okay, he's about to drink it. Oh, what are you imagining I like in it. there? There's a ginger beer taste to it. You're half right. Okay, which half? Gin. <laughs> okay, actually, my first thought was it tastes a bit like gin and tonic, but then but I thought you, but no, you thought ginger. Okay, so it's, it's gin, gin-based beer. Give it a name. Okay, I've got to brand this bad boy. Okay, it's going out of market tomorrow, Ollie. We need a name. <clears throat> Spruce. <laughs> I dare you off of my suggestions. Supersonic. Supersonic, and it's got a picture of an elephant on the front of it. Nice. It really does. I'm going to delve back into my sack. Okay, so I've got to guess first what's in it. Yep. Okay. That's really good. It doesn't taste beery. It does taste alcopoppy. I think it's root beer, and so my name for it is Bluegrass. <laughs> That's a good name for oh, a root beer. Do you know what? It is a good name for a root beer, but this is London Alcoholic Iced Tea. Ah, is it? Okay, well, actually, root beer is not that far off from iced tea, really. Not too far. I knew and it was a soft drink that like had a minimum amount of alcohol in it. Do you want to know the name? Yep. Harry Brompton. You were never going to get that. I was never going to get that. You were never going to get that. I was never going to get that. Okay. I've had so much to drink, I thought I had another one, but I don't. I just, bur- <laughs> I just delved into an empty bag. This is why, since Michael Barrymore, people don't get drunk and present quiz shows. <laughs> <laughs> this goes all over the shop. It is a disaster. We should thank our sponsors of the Zeitgeist this week, Beer52.com. Which is the best beer delivery company in the world. Yeah, that's right. They are a craft beer delivery service. They're British. They're based in Scotland. Me and producer Matt went to their office in Edinburgh, and it's staffed by really nice people. Mm-hmm. And what they do, basically, is you subscribe... It's like, you know, one of the food delivery services or whatever. You subscribe to a box of ingredients, which in this case is a box of craft beer, and you get it delivered to your door, whether that's your home or your office, even if you fancy some beers at work, on a monthly basis. And no doubt, very soon, they're going to be doing sour beer. All the stuff we've talked about, yeah. Barrel-aged beer. Well, in fact, I, I tasted the Island Record Session IPA for the first time through the Beer 52 box. It also comes with this magazine called Ferment. Which I know that sounds like a load of wank. You're like, I don't need a magazine with my it's beer. Like That's just porno. something I'm going to chuck in. Yeah, <laughs> But it's not. It's a really genuinely beautiful magazine about craft beer and the whole trend for craft beer that they send you every month with the box. And a little snack as well, like pork scratchings or crisps yeah. or whatever they chuck in. So anyway, it's a great service, genuinely a great service. Um, and they're doing a special deal for you modern man listeners. If you want eight beers for eight pounds that's eight a pound beers, a bottle eight beers that's as many bottle. beers as we've drunk in 20 minutes yep, yep. <laughs> for a pound a can uh, or bottle they do both um, then all you need to do is go to beer52.com slash man that's M-A-N-N it certainly is that's how you spell my name beer52.com slash man eight beers for eight pounds it's a great deal thank you to them and uh, I'm going to be nice because we've had a drink thank you to you Ollie Peard thanks very much you make everything um, well you pass the time yeah Oh, thanks. Now, have you ever wondered how a massive alcohol brand springs into life? I'm talking here about those brands that you just know are going to be in your hotel bar, wherever you are in the world. Jack Daniels, Bacardi, Baileys. They all have well-developed backstories and a firm sense of place, Tennessee, the Caribbean and Ireland. But Baileys wasn't created in Ireland. It was dreamt up in Soho 
by a former advertising creative called David Gluckman, who drew on his previous experience branding another Irish product, the butter brand Kerrygold, to create a whole new subcategory of booze that would go on to sell over a billion bottles. Well, it wasn't a particularly formal brief. Somebody just said to somebody else who said to me, the Irish branch of this company is looking for a new brand. They have no idea what it should be. Uh, but the Irish government, I think at the time, gave a tax holiday to any new brand that was primarily for export. Yeah, I mean, anyone who works in marketing now listening to that probably won't believe it was that open-ended. Yeah, I mean, briefs these days are 100 pages long with lots of charts and market trends. This was just a kind of anecdote passed from one person <laughs> to another. And uh, that was it. I mean, there was never anything on a piece of paper. My partner, Hugh, and I had just started out in business. We worked originally in an advertising agency, and we started in a, in a business. We were in Dean Street in Soho. Very excited, very scared. We both had families. And I said to him, uh, what are we going to do with this Irish brief? And he said, um, what Irish brief? I said, well, Tom, the guy we worked for, wants a new product for the Irish company. And it's Monday morning, you know, we were feeling a bit down, I suppose. Not the best time to think about booze, necessarily. No, not either, at all. So I said, is there something in Kerry Gold that we could use to create an idea? And he said, well, what happens if we mixed cream and Irish whiskey? I mean, that sounds disgusting when you put it like that. It, it, it actually was. Um, <laughs> so down we went to international stores at the end of Berwick Market and bought a quarter bottle of Irish whiskey, a tub of cream, and we came back to the office, mixed them. What were you mixing them in a glass? Yeah, just in a glass. I mean, so half cream, half whiskey, something like that? No, no, it was, it was a little bit of whiskey and, and cream. Lots of cream. It was all pick and mix. We, did, we had no idea what we were really out to achieve. And so then we played around with it and then... It didn't taste very nice, so we added some sugar, and that was better. And then we went back down to international stores and bought some Cadbury's powdered drinking chocolate and added that, and it tasted really good. I mean, and I thought, well, you know, why shouldn't booze taste nice? It doesn't always have to taste punishing. And I phoned up Tom Jago, who was the client at the company at IDV in York Gate, and said, look, I've, I've got this idea, and, and I went because... I think I had a suit in the office, uh, Hugh didn't. So, you know, you change into a suit to go along to this smart place in York Gate. And um, I took it to Tom and he tasted it. And he said, that's great, let's do it. What was it about the taste that appealed to him? I think it was the potential of the taste. I mean, um, it was just a completely new slant on an alcoholic drink. So what was the world of alcohol that was available in spirit bottles like in the 60s and 70s before that kind of drink came along? I mean, you made reference to liquor doesn't have to be punishing. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, were they all just very straight up hard liquor? No, no, the hot drink at that time was um, Martini, Martini Rosso, and uh, Cinzano was pretty hot as well. Baby Sham had was at the end of his, its time because it offered seemed to offer women uh, an alternative. Uh, lager hadn't really kicked in. I mean, it was still English bitter. 
Wine really wasn't um, much of a factor. I mean, wine was the upper classes drank wine, but the, the mass of people didn't like it much. And Bailey's just came along. We didn't have any kind of grand design with Bailey's. I mean, we didn't see this as some kind of Machiavellian attempt to seduce older women or anything like that. It just seemed like a good idea at the time. Okay, so, it, so you've mixed some chocolate into some cream, into some Irish whiskey, and you've thought, we've got something here. But presumably, at this point, you don't quite know what you've got. One thing we noticed with the cream is that it tasted higher alcohol than it was. We thought, well, we could compete with higher alcohol products but pay a lower duty because duty was related to the level of alcohol. Mm. We went up to the technical division in Harlow and uh, I remember I had this thing. It was burning a hole in my pocket. I was desperate to show it. But they said, no, we're going to do a burgundy tasting first. So we had to do that. And then after lunch, I pulled out this screw-top Schweppes tonic bottle with uh, this foul-looking liquid in it. <laughs> and they looked at it. They looked pretty snooty about it. But Tom, um, the guy, he, he was the real, really the instigator of this, said, no, you've got to get on and see whether you can make cream and spirit stable how does cream and alcohol stay stable because i've got a bottle of cream liqueur that's been on my shelf for about three years it's never been in the fridge how does that product even work i've always wondered no idea i think the alcohol preserves the cream but i have absolutely no technical skills at all so you must have asked how they did it no i didn't i didn't mind <laughs> but they said immediately, yes, that is possible. No, they, they, they didn't. They said it, it wasn't possible or they, they weren't enthusiastic about it. But you knew that you had to sell it in a certain way. So how did you go about creating the name, for example? Now, we were just moving office from Dean Street to Greek Street, a couple of streets along. And we found premises above a restaurant called Bailey's Bistro. <laughs> and I suddenly thought, Bailey's, that sounds perfect. Let's call it Bailey's. What was, what, it? what was the heritage of the people who ran the restaurant? I think they were Jewish guys, actually. So, <laughs> so they weren't necessarily Irish at all. No, about as Irish as you and me. Yeah. <laughs> but it just Not sounded right. It just worked. I don't know. And in those days, people took decisions very quickly. So, I mean, I called Tom up and said, hey, I think I've got it. Let's call it Bailey's. And he said, yeah, that's great. Let's do that. And I had a vision in my head, a memory, that there was a dairy in Port Elizabeth where I was born mm. that was called Bailey's Dairy, but I checked it out with my mother later and she said, never heard of it. But was it important to you to have in the back of your mind, yes, there's some justification for why I'm calling it that? It was important for you to have a story? I think there, there, there always is, but it, it, it was an Anglo-Irish name. And these prophecies have a way of fulfilling themselves by discovering later, after he presented the idea to the Irish, that there was a very famous, very old restaurant in Dublin called The Bailey. They are, you have your story. Exactly. So that kind of clinched it. But this was way after we'd had the idea. It just worked. I mean, everybody involved liked it. And when you presented it then to the Irish, did you... Presumably not use your Schweppes screw-in bottle. You put it in something no, a bit no, fancier. No. First of all, we had to create the brand, the packaging. Our secretary, Amy Wagner, her husband was a graphic designer. And they lived on a boat in Kingston. So I would give Amy a brief 
she would take to her husband, Bob, and then she'd come back with the designs um, a couple of days later. And I gave what was effectively a Kerrygold brief to Bob Wagner, which was, let's guess, lots of cows and pastures and stuff like that. Mm. We were going with Bailey's. We called it Irish chocolate cream liqueur. And I said to Tom, look, this is a really wacky idea. Why don't we print a label and put it onto a bottle and make it look as professional as possible? Because if, if you do what in those days were magic marker roughs, uh, people would um, they'd feel they could change them. There was something tentative about a magic marker. But whereas if you had something printed which was embossed and it looked smart and looked real, that... Um, would make it more convincing. And why did you want it to be less of a draft? Why not be open to collaboration from them? No, no, no. You have to be... I think you've got to be very single-minded with ideas. You've got to say, that's what I believe is the complete answer. And you can let them unpick it. Well, they can do with, with it what they will. But it worked in the sense that we put this actual bottle on the table and it looked totally real. And Tom had even produced gold embossing because we used a standard bottle from another product. And Tom had produced gold embossing in his garden shed just to uh, cover over the, I think there was an R on the on the shoulder of the, <laughs> the, of the bottle. So the product originally had been called something beginning with an R that you took It was called red, red Breast uh, Whiskey. We didn't want to commit to a new bottle mould because it's very expensive. Incidentally, I, I suppose it doesn't matter what brand of whiskey you originally bought from the corner shop, but when you took it to them, did, they wanted to use their whiskey. Did you they tell them? Make, they didn't make whiskey. Okay, so they had to then become a buyer of whiskey to make this product. They did, yeah. And cream. And cream. And... Did they have all of the resources for that in Ireland? Well, it was very serendipitous because about that time, the company had been bought by Grand Metropolitan Hotels, which was owned by Maxwell Joseph. And they just happened to own express dairies in Ireland. So we inadvertently developed what was called vertical integration, where (laughs) you, you keep everything in the house. So that worked nicely too. Actually, I said it didn't matter which brand it was of whiskey, but it kind of does actually. For the record, do you remember what brand of whiskey it was originally? I haven't the slightest idea. And would it be Jameson's? Is that what you would have bought then? Oh, we probably bought a quarter bottle of Jameson's or whichever whiskey, Irish whiskey, sold in quarter bottles because times were hard. We just started. But if you make a delicious product off the back of Jameson's product... Do you think Jameson's might have been interested, even though they no, hadn't given a no. break? I think, I think that Delicious is only, you only discover that about seven years later. You mean when the market decides whether or not they want it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we had no idea. We did a few focus groups. You strike me as someone who doesn't give a shit about focus groups. <laughs> no, I've done a lot in my time, but n- n- not as many as other people. I mean, I mean, I always think with focus groups, after one, you get 95% of what you're looking for. What did the research say on Bailey's? Can you imagine a bunch of guys in a focus group and they're given this chocolatey-looking liquid and one guy gets up in the middle of all this and says, I wouldn't be seen dead drinking this. This is a girl's drink. This is, I drink a pint. I drink my eight pints and then I have a, a whiskey or a vodka, but I'm not going to drink this. Interestingly, at the end of the group, all the glasses were empty. And the women said, well, it reminds me a bit of kaolin and morphine, which is a, a medicine. So 
It, I mean, they weren't totally dismissive, but they weren't highly enthusiastic. And then we put two bottles into a pub in uh, Gloucester Place, just off Marylebone Road, a pub called the Allsop Arms. We put these two printed, beautiful printed bottles in there. And every few days I'd go in and say, anybody ordered it? Nah, nothing. And then one day, just before we were going to Dublin to present, I went in and one of the bottles was, had gone. And the guy said, well, two policemen came in last night and drank it all. So I thought, that's it, you know, showtime, <laughs> ready to go. I mean, it's now a drink that people always serve with ice. Was that intended as well? No. No, you just drink it straight. Yeah, it was intended to be drunk straight. But then there were strange laws about tax and quantity, because it's actually very difficult with something like Bailey's to drink a whole glass, because it stays in the glass, and you literally have to stick your tongue in the glass to get it all out. But it was served in very short measures, looked more like a dirty glass than a proper drink. I think we just had an idea about taste. We didn't have any grand vision. Um, we had an idea that this was a nice-tasting drink. We didn't even have a vision as to who would drink it and when. And Did it, you think it was a sophisticated brand? Because Bailey's is an interesting one that I think probably half the public, if you ask them now, would say, oh, yeah, that's what I ordered for a special occasion. And half would say, oh, that's a cheap drink, that's not a posh drink. And where do you see it? The, the company was full of gentlemen who liked, uh, classic drinks like malt whiskies and fine wine and stuff like that. They always saw Bailey's as a bit, as a bit of a maverick and a bit a bit naff. I mean, you know, Bailey's sells for under a ten or a litre in Tesco at Christmas and stuff. So, but if you ask people about Bailey's, people say, "Oh, my granny loves it," or, you know, "My elderly aunt loves it." It's not. It doesn't have any status, and I think that's. Because in England, people didn't take it quite as seriously or treat it as seriously as they did, say, in the US, which was seen as a, you know, a pretty good drink. But nevertheless, it's just part of the furniture, part of the scene. It's a bit like that sort of Machiavellian thing about targeting particular people. I think that's all bullshit. Do you? I think you talk about benefit. One of the brands I was most proud of was Smirnoff Black Label. Now, basically, Smirnoff Black Label tastes smoother than any other vodka. And that's a really strong story. So I'm saying, I think what you say to people is, Smirnoff Black is smoother than any other vodka, and let's see how it falls. There's no um, deeply intellectual targeting about that. David Gluckman. And you can find out more, much more, about Smirnoff Black Label, Tanqueray 10, Sheridan's, Purdy's, and countless other drinks brands that David has had a hand in creating in his book, That Shit Will Never Sell. Uh, it's a cracking read. And as you might expect from a marketing man, it is beautifully presented. Uh, order a copy now at thatshitwillneversell.com. The Foxhole is up next after this. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Now it's time for the section of the show that is always better to receive than it is to give. It's the Foxhole, your sex questions with Alex Fox. We put the sex in section. Um, Dry Delilah's been back in touch. Oh, dry, dry, dry Delilah. Um, She she says, uh, thank you for answering my question in last week's show. Um, I have taken some form of birth control for the last 10 years and have now finished taking the contraceptive pill and I've just had my first natural cycle. To my amazement, I'm now able to suddenly have comfortable sex without needing lubrication. Yes! Oh, well that's done, Delilah. News. So in Delilah's case, it seems that it was hormonal contraception that was uh, having this effect of, of drying her natural secretions because ca- that can happen for so many different reasons and sometimes it can be quite difficult to pinpoint the cause. I guess the problem is, though, uh, you're never going to know whether it's the hormonal contraceptive that's causing the problem unless you come off it and that's something that a lot of people don't want to try. It's a, it does take a lot of trial and error sometimes to find out, A, what contraceptive works best for an individual or a couple and B, if there is a, a sexual challenge like that precisely what the cause is it can, it can be really complicated and the onus is always on the woman well actually have you heard of a new contraceptive that is currently being trialed in india uh, called vasal gel vasal gel is an injectable contraceptive mm. that is uh, it's like a, it's a gel as the name suggests mm. that is uh, going to be put into the vas deferens that's the tube leading from the testicles uh, to ho- the ho- ho- what do you mean going to be put in uh, it would you mean be, a man has to inject his testes? No, it would be done under anaesthetic by Oh, it's just a one-off? Yes. Okay. I it's, thought you were like, you know, insulin style having to do this at home. No, no, no. It's okay. long-lasting. I think it lasts about two to three years. As I say, it's still in the developmental stage at the moment, okay. but quite far down the line. Uh, it's a gel that blocks uh, sperm from entering semen. So I believe you still ejaculate, yeah. but no sperm enter the, the liquid. So you, although you can still perhaps pass on an STI if you have one, you, it will prevent unwanted pregnancy. So what happens to your sperm? It just gets reabsorbed by the body. It'll be interesting to see, won't it, how many men would be prepared to do something that drastic in the cause of contraception when they've expected their female partners to do exactly that for years. I think it will also be interesting to see how many women will trust their men in heterosexual relationships to have gone through with that procedure, you know, because a lot of the time when you have chats about the male pill or the concept of a male pill, lots of women say, I just wouldn't trust my partner to remember to take it all the time. And I would be frightened that we would have a mishap because he had... uh, Because he doesn't clean up the bathroom floor when I ask him to. (laughs) Oh God, what's happening to the bathroom floor? Time for your listener questions as ever sponsored by our friends at mycondom.com. Alex, tell us about their incredible service. Well, although their name suggests they only do condoms, they also sell lubricants, including in bottles which are a size suitable for air travel. So So even if you haven't got the first class seat, you can have a first class experience. You can have a first class one. Yeah, your uh, lubricant for your hand shandy will now suitably fit in your hand luggage. Well, someone obviously wants that. Excellent. Okay, this week's question is from someone called Ollie. It's not me, I promise. And they say, Alex, back when I was about 18, I was getting busy with a girl and this was the first time we'd been in bed together. Uh, Picture the scene. I'm lying on my back and she's riding me. Just as she's reaching climax, a grin appears across her oh face. God, what's going to happen? I think this sounds good so far. Yeah. She arches her back and throws her head back and then in one swift move, lunges forward 
and full fist punches my jaw with a sharp right hook. What? I didn't see that coming. <laughs> well, neither did he, and by he, the sounds of things. He didn't see she her coming. him in He's, the face. He saw her punch him in the face. Whoa. As I lay there reeling, she cries in urgent and excited tones, quick, now hit me. Think- oh, good God. <laughs> Thinking back on it, this is as funny as hell, but it didn't feel like that at the time. You know, it sounds like he wasn't a virgin, but he didn't have much experience been quite young. I mean, yeah. at any point in your life, though, someone unexpectedly punching you in the face yeah. during sex is not okay and not enjoyable. I- I'd say actually only at that point would I tolerate it, but even so, I wouldn't be keen. Um, <laughs> all joking aside, uh, I had no idea how to deal with the situation, and I don't think I handled it in the best way, but clearly some ground rules should have been laid out prior to that moment so i guess my question is alex if you're into something a bit kinky and you don't know if the other person is yet how and when should you broach the subject wowzers first of all let's make it abjectly clear punching somebody in the face you don't need to make this clear (laughs) (laughs) i know you want to be the responsible advisor alex we all know not to punch people in the face without asking their permission well even if you do ask somebody's permission and get consent for that kind of thing it's generally considered bad form to hit somebody with a with a closed fist mm. in BDSM. Mm. It is not a free-for-all. There are guidelines on safe and unsafe places uh, for impact play, for hitting or spanking. And where do you find these guidelines, Alex? Because I imagine that uh, there isn't a gov.uk address with this information upon it. There's, there are a lot of really good sites, actually. But generally, if you Google S&M safe zones or, or, or anything anything like that, then or, or basic guide to spanking, any decent guide should tell you where's a good place to hit and where's a bad place. Yeah. Uh, some of the places you should not hit a person are uh, the kidneys because they're very easily bruised and damaged and they're located if you're if you're spanking someone's bum you don't want to go too high up their back the kidneys are located between the rib cage and the top of the bottom useful top rubric of the bottom <laughs> you know, top of the bottom top yeah. of the bottoms with alex fox <laughs> it's yeah. the, the revolving restaurant no one wants to go to <laughs> Uh, You should also avoid hitting uh, the backs of the knees or the ankles. Be very careful around the the neck uh, and the tailbone. But when it comes to impact play with the face, okay, Mm. some people are into slapping. Uh, They either like the sensation of it or it's often involved in humiliation play. That that idea of being reprimanded or or shamed uh, for some people is a turn on. If you want to experiment with slapping someone in the face, my God, the conversations we have, uh, obviously that needs to be discussed and consented to by both people in advance Mm. and you need to have a safe word. But you also do need to take some care. You should uh, try never to slap somebody if their mouth is open because that can actually dislocate their jaw. Another zone to avoid is the ears. A sudden rush yeah. of air towards the ears can actually damage the eardrums. So if, if you're going to hit someone around the head, don't aim for their ears. It's a good idea as well to stabilise uh, your partner's head with your other hand so that when you're slapping them, you're, they're, they're not going to get whiplash. Okay, but so- this, is, this is extreme play. Someone hitting you in the face without your consent is wow I'm, I'm actually really shocked by that but also there is an interesting gender dynamic going on here as well isn't there for understandable reasons generally speaking men uh, are less vulnerable than women but i do think if this was the other way round, if a man was having sex with an 18 year old woman uh, and then punched her in the face out of nowhere and then said now hit me you know this wouldn't be a sort of amusing story to recount 10 years down the road and speculate about would it i actually think that our writer here ollie is being uh really generous in being able to laugh about this 
Just because he's a guy doesn't mean that he has to laugh this off. This is serious. Okay, I'm going to tell you a personal story, and and I haven't told many people this, but uh, someone once hit me in the face without my consent. During During sex. sex? Yeah. And it was one of the most traumatic experiences of my adult life. Yeah. I had gone on a date with uh, a guy who was a young and fairly successful actor. And I was very, very flattered to go on this date with him. One thing led to another, and we ended up getting a bit frisky. And yeah, in the middle of uh, intimacy, he slapped me in the face. Now, it wasn't hard hard enough to hurt me at all. It was almost like a token gesture, if you will. But I was so shocked that he had done something that I, I really, you know, that that's a very specialist taste mm. to want to, to, to want to slap somebody and to want to be slapped. Mm. I, I was completely taken aback by it. And my reaction was even more confused because at the time, this young chap had been playing a character who was quite violent. Uh, and what he was doing in bed imitated what his character had done uh, on screen. And I wasn't sure whether he'd taken inspiration for the role he was playing from his real self. Or whether you were or, part of a method acting process. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I thought, is he, is, he, is he trying to, you know, use me as a way of practising here? Or, you know, he was a good-looking, popular guy. Had he had experiences where women wanted him to be his character mm. you know they, they wanted the the, the uh, what they'd seen on screen or maybe just a sense of entitlement life. you know i can get away with whatever i like because i'm so and so yeah i actually he this was years ago and he reached out to me recently uh we are still we're still vaguely in touch he's doing really really well and i had to say to him look dude i, I can't continue to make small talk with you and pleasantries before i need to really tell you that what happened that evening has been has, I've gone over it so many times in my mind. I found it really upsetting. Mm. It really traumatised me. I went away feeling frightened and shaken up. And uh, I was actually surprised by my reaction, which in the moment was just to try and gloss over everything and Mm. make it all okay. As I say, this was a number of years ago. And I think now I would have called him out straight away and probably been a lot more assertive about the situation. But um, in a way, it gave me an insight, a window into why if someone is in an abusive or a dangerous situation, often people go, oh, but why didn't you say something? Why didn't you stick up for yourself? My sense of Britishness and almost embarrassment that something bad had happened to me Mm. was so great that all I wanted to do was just smooth it over and get over it and make it okay as fast as possible. So I kind of acted like, I almost laughed it off and Mm. let him get off off the hook. When I told this man, look, do you realise that what happened all those years ago, has? I have never forgotten that. I felt guilty that I feel I didn't really call you out at the time. Mm. He apologised profusely. He said I was young and dumb, that, you know, I, I did get caught up in a lot of crazy moments back then and he was very young. Um, I'm glad we had that conversation, though, but that's I'm privileged to have been able to discuss that with him as two adults now. Lots of people never get the chance to break down what happened in a situation, which is why I think it, it should be a national conversation more on internet. You know, we should all be talking about this more. It's uh, I've got a feeling there are a lot of people carrying around trauma uh, related to things that have happened to them sexually and don't feel able to 
discuss it. Yeah, well, um, thanks for discussing it with us. Uh, it's okay. There if, we go. If you would so. like to discuss your experiences, or if you have a question for Alex for a future edition of the Foxhole, uh, all you need to do is go to our website, modernman with two ends.co.uk, and click the feedback button. You can send a question through there, and you can remain anonymous if you wish and Alex if people want to go and buy themselves a bucket load of condoms yes they should do that too yes they can head over to mycondom.com and if you type in the code foxhole f-o-x-h-o-l-e then you get 15% off everything and with that, this week's Mod Man is very nearly over. There is just time to announce a ambassador, though. It is Will, who is representing South Africa. That's a big territory. Good luck, Will. Uh, he left us a lovely review on iTunes. You can too at itunes.com slash M-A-N-N. And if all the talk of booze this week has inspired you to buy us a beer, then please do. You can use PayPal to do so as well now. Just visit modernmanwith2ends.co.uk. Uh, our theme music is by Django. Django, do check out all their work. It's marvellous. And our record of the week this week is by British punk grime metal infusion, The 100. It's called Dark Matters. It's out next month, and it will melt your head. Strap in, everyone. I'm Ollie Mann, the producer, Matt Hill, and we'll see you next Tuesday. You will never be your memory. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.